0: Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Meadowview Weekly Sermon Podcast. We're a church who seeks to grow in Christ, gather in community, and go in obedience to the Great Commission. Uh, When I was a kid, I was raised in a single-parent home. Many of you know that. I was raised by a mom who worked overtime, so that meant I had a lot of free time. And it also meant that I was the man of the house. And so I decided that it was my responsibility to take care of all the outdoor household, you know, jobs like mowing the grass and picking up the sticks and uh, putting those sticks in the burn pile and getting those kind of ready. And so one day I decided, you know, my mom's not here. This is a a good day for me to, to light those sticks on fire. It's a good day to play with fire, really is what I was wanting to do. And so I decided, hey, I've seen her do this before. So I went and got a mason jar full of gasoline and I decided to take it and put it in the middle of all those sticks. And this is when I learned the lesson that kerosene and gasoline are not the same thing. Right, so I lit that on fire, and sure enough, woof, and there's this huge ball of fire, and and uh, I did not remember what they taught me in school to stop, drop, and roll, and I just took off running, ah, back to the water hose with my pants leg on fire. Good news, I was not burned, but I did not have any leg hair on one one side of my body, and uh, you could smell that burnt hair for like weeks. It seemed like it was so embarrassing. As we get into this story, this is a familiar story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. And one of the interesting parts, as you're going to see, is that when they come out of the fire, there is no smell of singed hair. There is nothing that you could even tell the fire had even been near them. And if you've sat at a campfire lately, you don't even have to get that close to smell like a chimney, right? You just kind of smell like one. But that's one of the cool things about this story. It's a very familiar story, but it really does show us, what conviction in a corrupt culture looks like. So let me pray for us, and we'll kind of cover some things real quick. Father, we ask that you would enlighten us this morning to your word. God, as we look at a very familiar story, one that we may have heard often as a child, that you would show us how great and how glorious your presence truly is. Father, as we deal with trials and we deal with fiery trials of this of this world and this corrupt culture that we're living in, God, that we would know that you're with us and that you're standing with us in the midst of it. In Christ's name. Amen. As we've talked about, biblical preferences will not stand up against the persuasive pleasures of the world and its corrupt culture. Therefore, we must have a biblical conviction and what we've established over the last two weeks is that conviction comes from a connection with God and the presence of the Holy Spirit. As we look at these three young men, these three men that stood up in the face of opposition of of King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, This famous biblical story shows us what conviction looks like in a corrupt culture. This is the story of standing for your faith when no one else is. This is the story of standing for your faith in a culture that is deconstructing theirs. It doesn't take us long to realize that we live in a culture that is continually combating against uh, the convictions of Christians. And we're seeing that even more and more Christians as we go along in life are beginning to deconstruct their faith and beginning to walk away from the faith. And so we're living in a corrupt culture. And the reason is is because many of us maybe never knew Jesus Christ and are walking away and then maybe some are choosing the road of comfort over conviction. While living in a corrupt culture, if comfort comes before conviction, expect compromise. If our goal in life is to be comfortable, we will walk away from the faith because we live in a world in a corrupt culture that will continually combat us on what we believe. Danny Aiken tells a story of a, of a martyr not too long ago when he was teaching on this very passage. He tells the story of Cassie Bernal. She was a teenager who was martyred on April twentieth, nineteen 1999 at Columbine High School just outside of Denver, Colorado. She was 17 years old Several reports of the fatal shootings, 11 classmates and one teacher who were also killed, suggest that when one of the murderers, Eric Harris, asked Cassie if she believed in God, she said yes. He immediately shot her and killed her because of her faith. Cassie's decision to stand for Jesus like these three Hebrew men of Daniel chapter 3 was not a spur-of-the-moment decision with no chance to reflect on the potential consequences. It was a decision she had already settled in her heart long before. In a letter written to a friend less than a year before her death, Cassie penned these words When God doesn't want me to do something, I definitely know it. When He wants me to do something, even if it means going outside my comfort zone, I know that too. I feel pushed in the direction I need to go. I try to stand up for my faith at school. It can be discouraging, but it can also be rewarding. I will die for my God, I will die for my faith. It's the least I can do for Christ dying for me. There's conviction in a corrupt culture that doesn't choose the road of compromise when things get difficult. Peter would say it this way in 1 Peter 4 12 through 14. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Here's what Peter would say He said, Hey, don't be surprised when this corrupt culture puts you through a fiery trial. Don't be surprised when they come against you and they try to corrupt you. Do not be surprised, but rejoice. Because you know that the glory of Christ will be revealed. And that God's very presence rests upon you. This is exactly what you see in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That these guys were not surprised. And the glory of God was certainly with them. First thing I want you to see before we start reading is conviction in a corrupt culture is continually confronted with the worship of idols. So let's start by reading chapter 3 verses 1 through 7. King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold, whose height was 60 cubits and breadth 6 cubits. He set it up on a plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then King Nebuchadnezzar sent together the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, and the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for de- dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And, he herald, and the herald proclaimed aloud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music... You are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, we see that King Nebuchadnezzar has made a golden image. This is interesting coming off of the last chapter where he was the head, where Babylon was the head of this giant image. And now he's saying some maybe 18 years into his reign, it's time for me to erect this giant golden image because we are going to be Babylon and we are going to rule the world. And so he sets this up and he says, you know what? I'm going to bring in everybody that I've conquered. And so this, by this time, it's probably the third time that he's gone in and brought people in from Judah. He's bringing in these nations and he's destroyed the temple and he's going to erect this. We're going to have a celebration and we're all going to worship this together. A corrupt culture is continually putting images of idol worship in front of us. And all the peoples, nations and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that king Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now it sounds odd, doesn't it? That that anybody would be uh, silly enough to fall down at a golden image and bow and worship it. Doesn't that sound silly? But they're also fearful of being thrown in the fire first. So, you know, we we have the the lesser of two evils, as some people would say. And so they bow down. This is not that far-fetched, because if you look at this image right here, this is North Korean residents bowing their heads in respect as they stand in front of the giant 22-meter-high bronze Kim Il-sung statue in Pyongyang. They're standing there, bowing at a statue. You see, this is a corrupt... Culture, And it's easy for us to identify a corrupt culture when it's this obvious, but it's not as easy for us to identify a corrupt culture that is putting idols in front of us day after day after day and saying, hey, this name, this thing should supersede the name above every name and seeing that our lives and our actions bow in worship. You see, idolatry is the act of coveting or placing confidence in something other than God. It's that simple. However, conviction is placing commitment and confidence in God. This is what Paul says in Ephesians 5:5. 5, 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. He says in Philippians 3:18 through 20, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame. With mindset on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is pushing believers to understand that look, as you are in this corrupt culture and as you are bombarded with idol worship after idol worship after idol worship, you need to realize that your citizenship is not here. You are a a member of God's family, and your citizenship is in heaven, and there's a heavenly king that is in charge of all things. And it's really easy for us to get our eyes and our minds and our affections and our confidence on things of this world rather than on him. He says, Those who live with their minds on earthly things and idolatry are walking as enemies of the cross of Christ. That's strong language from the Apostle Paul. He says in Colossians 3, 5, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Jesus would say this in 624 of Matthew's gospel, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Idolatry is deceptive. We don't often notice that we're bowing and putting our confidence in things as as our assurance rather than God. We're looking for comfort often rather than living for conviction. The spirit of Babylon and the corrupt culture endeavors to make men and women bow down to comfort and pleasure, which is idolatry and immorality. Comfort and conviction are often in opposition. If our goal is comfort and ease, eventually our convictions will turn into compromise. Living in a corrupt culture, these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as we're about to see, they don't bow to an idol. They knew... God's law. In Exodus 20, 1 through 5, you might be familiar with this. The beginning of the Ten Commandments, and God spoke all of these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness or anything that is in heaven above or that is in earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers of the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. If you get the first two commandments, the rest of the commandments take care of themselves. What we don't realize is that everything boils down to idolatry. Everything boils down to what you worship, what you're confessing adoration to. Confessing adoration and allegiance to the name of God is the worship of God. Idolatry is the debasing of the, or the reducing of worship to materialism or the tendency to fixate on an object of comfort and extreme importance over God. We don't often realize that we're bowing our hearts to things that are material possessions, that, are, that we're fixating on, that are earthly things that we think are really good things, but we've elevated them to God things, and that's idolatry. We do this, and then we have all these other issues because God doesn't have the number one place in our life. He doesn't have the name above every name. Conviction claims in action that there is no other name worthy of worship. Conviction claims in action. You can claim with your mouth, but your actions dictate and show what you actually worship. Understand these verses with me Psalms 8:1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm twenty nine two Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Acts four twelve, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Romans ten thirteen For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Philippians two ten through eleven. So that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Our lives are to be lives of conviction. And the conviction is an action that says his name is above every other name this corrupt culture can throw at me. I will bow to none other. The Babylonian culture and King Nebuchadnezzar and all corrupt cultures seek to erect objects of worship that supersede the worship of Christ, but conviction claims in action that there is no other name worthy of worship. That's a lot. There's a lot of verses there. But I want you to understand that it all comes down to worship. And these men, as we're about to see, had such conviction that God is the only one worth bowing to. Conviction in a corrupt culture courageously stands against compromise. Let's keep reading verses 8 through 23. This is a lengthy section, so you might want to follow along with me. Therefore, at the time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into the burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, I don't know why they don't just say the musical instruments, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into the burning fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? And the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and the other garments. And they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. As we see this narrative take place, there's a couple of things I want to point out to you. Verse 8, Therefore at that time certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. This word maliciously accused in its original writing is ate them to pieces. They... They just verbally blasted them. They chewed them up and chewed them down, right, as we would say. They accosted them with, with words. But John says this in First John 3.13, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. Understand this, if we're going to live in a corrupt culture, if we express conviction, we can expect criticism. If you're going to express the convictions you have to worship God and worship Him only, you can expect criticism from those who are watching. I saw this this week. Gavin Peacock wrote this. When the culture has been convinced that something immoral is now moral, then if you say with all the love in the world, no, it's not. You are a bigot, unloving and even illegal. So that which is evil is celebrated and that which is good demonized and all must conform or else. I don't know if you have been watching the news lately. I don't know if you've been listening to the political uh, candidates speak. But if our culture continues to go the way it's going, it's going to continue to say that we are bigots for standing up for what we believe in. And here's the deal. You can say it with all the love in the world. And can I tell you, a lot of times we say it with all the judgment in the world. We should say it with all the love in the world. Because there is a world out there that desperately needs to know that there is a name above every name. And there's a king that is worthy of every bit of our worship. And our worship and our conviction is seen in our action. And how we love those that are around us and how we serve him faithfully. Conviction is not common. Verse 12, there were certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Conviction is evident in only a certain few because the crowds cower and compromise in a corrupt culture. Now, if you will think about the historical significance of this, all these other languages and people groups. All these other Hebrews, all these other Jews have been brought in and there are only a certain few who don't bow. I can tell you there are churches full all across the world, all across this nation today of people who claim to know God, who claim to worship God. But I can also tell you this, there are certain few who are willing to stand for God. There are certain few who have the conviction to stand in opposition and it's not common. Conviction is not cowardly. Luke twelve four through 5 I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body, and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Often the crowds cower in the fear of man, not in the fear of God. A lot of times we compromise our beliefs because we're afraid of what other, others might say, what criticism might come our way. Conviction is committed to God's commands. Leviticus 26:1, you shall not make idols for yourselves or erect an image or pillar, and you shall not set up a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. Often the concept of the command isn't translated into a commitment to the command. Oftentimes, we will know God's commands. We will know what he wants us to do, but it's not translated into a commitment to keep that command. Oh, I know what God wants me to do, but my emotions and my desires are telling me otherwise. Conviction produces a confession for Christ. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter if this be so. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand. O king, but if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Conviction produces a genuine confession of praise in times of pleasure and in pain. These men know that God will deliver them either from the fire or through the fire. They don't know if, they're gonna, if their lives are going to be saved. But they do know that in their conviction, they're not going to bow to other idols. Sometimes we face trials of many kinds, many fiery trials, and God will deliver us. He will either deliver us from those fiery trials or through those fiery trials. Conviction produces a confession that either in pain or pleasure they are not going to bow down to a false king with a false fiery punishment because there is a real king and a real eternal fiery punishment. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expression on his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and he ordered the furnace heated seven times more than usually heated. Scripture tells us that there is a hell that is real. There is an actual place. The fiery furnace here was a temporary punishment by a temporary king. But there is a hell and it is a fiery, eternal punishment. And there is a God, and He is the everlasting King of kings. Jesus tells this parable and explains it in Matthew 13, 36-43. Then He left the crowds and went into the house, and the disciples came to Him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, the field is the world, and the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. The weeds are the sons of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels, just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the, fir- the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous shall shine like the son in the kingdom of their father. who He who has ears, let him hear. Do you notice that Jesus references a fiery furnace? As you see this story in Daniel, there is a false king and there's a false fiery punishment. But there is a king who is worthy of all worship. There's a true king of kings and Lord of lords. And there is a true fiery punishment. And some of those who do not know him, That is where their destiny lies. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. Then these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated. The flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. For those who don't know God, the flames of hell are real, and the death is everlasting. It's not a very popular subject. It's not one we like to talk about. But it is a sobering thought that all those who are apart from Christ are doomed to eternal punishment. It it makes us think about how serious we should live with conviction in a world that seems to be walking away from their faith. We should be lights in a dark world, showing those that have no hope that there is hope in one, Jesus Christ. This is exactly what happens in the story. There is hope with Christ. Conviction in a corrupt culture is confident in Christ's presence. Daniel 3, 24-30. Let's finish reading the chapter. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and rose up in haste he declared to his counselors did we not cast 3 men bound into the fire they answered and said to the king true o king he answered and said but i see 4 men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods that's pretty good for a pagan king Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High, God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of those men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, and no smell of fire had come upon them. For there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Faithful conviction is convinced that Christ is better. As we get to Hebrews and we get to the faith chapter, these things are mentioned in Hebrews 11, 32 through 34 and 39 through 40. And what more shall I say? For time would not would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. We're not to that chapter yet, but we are at this one. Quenched the powers of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and all these, though commended through their faith, Did not receive what was promised, since God had promised something better for us. Promised something better. Christ. The indwelling presence and salvation of Jesus Christ. Living by faithful conviction means elevating the necessity for daily confession and obedience over the desire of deliverance and rescue from life's difficult situations. This is the faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had. They had a faith that elevated their confession of Christ and God and their obedience to God over their desire for deliverance and rescue. If we will live a life of conviction in a corrupt culture, then we're going to elevate the desire to be obedient and the, de- the desire to confess Christ to a world more so than we're going to desire deliverance and rescue. I like how Brian Chappell says it. He says biblical faith is not confidence in a particular outcome. It is confidence in a sovereign God. We trust that he knows what we cannot discern, plans that we cannot anticipate, and secures our eternity in ways beyond our fathoming. Our trust is not in the quantity or quality of our beliefs. Our trust is in God. Our trust in God is not built on insights we possess or wishes we manufacture. The Bible does not teach us to look inward, to discern what we should be trusting. Faith is not confidence in our belief, but confidence in our God. Any other perspective will ultimately harm our faith. These men, they put their faith in God. They put their trust in God. And they said, He's going to deliver us. And even if He doesn't, we will not bow down and worship other gods. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt, and their appearance, and the appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. They were unbound. This is a Christophany. As many theologians would say, this is a pre-incarnate vision of Christ in the Old Testament. He appears and he appears to set the captives free. He appears to loosen the chains of bondage. He comes to free them from a fiery trial. Jesus appears, this same God who delivered these three men from the fires of an earthly hell, delivers us from the fires of an eternal hell. In this person of the Son, God came in to be with us, endured the trials of this world, and suffered to deliver us from the flames of hell forever. Just as He stood in the fiery furnace with these men for deliverance, He stood in our place on the cross so that we we too can have deliverance from hell. That's what this story is about. It's not a story that says, Be a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No, the story is, These men, living with conviction in a corrupt culture, needed Jesus Christ to be with them for salvation. The message is that we all need Jesus. We are all hopelessly lost, doomed without Him. That is why God sent His Son. So in the midst of this corrupt culture that is ruled by sin, we have an advocate standing with us in the fire. And He saves us from an eternal punishment. Just as Romans 8.32 says, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for all of us, for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? With him. With him is important. Just as it was with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it is with Christ that we are more than conquerors and have a life over death. Paul says this in Ephesians 2, 1, and 4, and 5. And you were dead. In your trespasses and sins. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. With Christ. My question for you is this. Are you with Christ? Have you come to a point in your life where you've surrendered your life to him? Maybe you know all the right stories. Maybe you've heard Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and you've even seen it on a felt board in your in your lifetime. Maybe you can quote Bible verses. Maybe you know the commandments of God. But do you hold them with conviction? Have you made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Have you decided that you won't bow a knee to another idol in a corrupt culture? You see we were all once dead destined for the fire. But there is a there is a loving God who through Christ makes us free. Are you living with conviction in a corrupt culture? Thanks for listening. It is our prayer that this message has helped you grow in your walk with Christ. Please subscribe to hear new sermons